Pastor Ed Taylor draws our attention to the severe consequences on the other side of sexual sin. We'll see sexual sin was a big problem in the church in, in, the church in Corinth. And unfortunately, it's a big problem in our church. And just that statement, whether you're here now or you listen to this later, brings to your heart hopefully some kind of conviction that this type of sin is not good. It's not the will of God. It's not going to bring blessing in your life. It's not going to help the church. It's only going to harm the church. It's going to ruin your witness. It's going to ruin your opportunity to share. It's going to ruin your life. This is amazing grace. The great lie in our culture today is that sex outside of marriage is perfectly fine. In fact, people are made to feel comfortable in that sin, even in the church. But God loves us so much that he tells us the truth, no matter how hard it may be to hear. His will is that none would perish, but that all would have eternal life. We'll soon see that sexual sin is a serious matter and needs to be avoided. Today on Abounding Grace, we're pausing to consider a serious warning in 1 Corinthians 6. Many people today are led to believe they can live like the world and still go to heaven. But a lifestyle of sin is an indicator of something terribly wrong. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Following Jesus requires sexual purity. It is non-negotiable. And one reason why people really don't want to follow Jesus, one reason why people don't really like to hang out with Christians, one reason that Christianity is not attractive in a world like ours is this mandate for sexual purity. In every area of your life, body and spirit, Paul is going to say here. A lot of people are asking what the will of God is and, and how do I know the will of God? But in his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul said, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. He's talking to a church. He's talking to us. He's talking to the church in Thessalonica then, and he's talking to us here at Calvary Aurora. Now, this is the will of God. You want to know the will of God? Here it is. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. You want to jot it down? It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 3 through 5, he says in verse 4 there, that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so there's a great distinction between the behaviors of those that don't know God and those that do know God. And one of the dividing lines that God has established for us is sexual purity. In the New Living Translation, I love how it's translated, 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, For you remember what we taught you in the name of the Lord Jesus. God wants you to be holy, so you should keep clear of sexual sin. Then each of you will control your own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion as the pagans do in the ignorance of God and his ways. Believers let their guards down in this area, 
stumble into situations, run headlong into situations, deceived thinking there is no consequence for such behavior. Deceived thinking it may be okay for such behavior that God just winks at it or it's not that big a deal or we're living in the 21st century, you know, so let's relax some of these restrictions that the Bible has. It might have been good for them then, but not for us now. And our culture actually makes it very easy to stumble into this area. It strongly encourages stumbling and deciding to engage in sexual sin. But it's not the heart of God to commit sexual sin. It's not God's heart. It's not God's will. It's not God's desire. And if you find yourself tempted in that area, it's important to be filled with the Holy Spirit and resist that temptation. It's not the will of God. The city of Corinth, the church in Corinth, was filled with those that had been delivered from sexual sin. Remember back in verse 9 of chapter 6, we covered it last time, but he said in verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he lists these sexual sins. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. That's any type of sin, sexual sin outside of marriage. Anyone that decides to engage in all sorts of, you know, the the world is so creative in how to develop temptations of sexual sin. Sin in the mind, sin in all sorts of weird and perverse. It's not, it's it's really, as you, you look at Corinth, we'll get to see in a moment, it's nothing new under the sun. Sexual sin has always been with this. It's a human problem. But fornication is a problem. Idolaters, adulterers, that speaks of sexual sin within marriage. Homosexuality, sodomites. And then he mentions other sins. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. He says these won't inherit the kingdom of God. These guys living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I think it's a great disservice to the church for someone that's engaged in unrepentant, unconfessed sin to start dropping the, the, the line, well, wait a minute, you know, once saved, always saved. Yeah, but the way you're living, you're like not acting like you're saved. So you might want to step back and say, do you really have a real relationship with Jesus? Because that's what Paul's saying here. Don't you guys know that the unrighteous isn't going to inherit the kingdom of God? And you go, wait a minute, Ed, that seems pretty heavy. But see, it's a lie. That's what he says. He says, don't be deceived thinking that a lifestyle like that is compatible with the life of a believer. Don't be deceived. Don't lie to yourself. Don't think that engaging in these activities, in particular, we'll see sexual sin was a big problem in the church in in Corinth. And unfortunately, it's a big problem in our church. And just that statement, whether you're here now or you listen to this later, brings to your heart, hopefully, some kind of conviction that this type of sin is not good. It's not the will of God. It's not going to bring blessing in your life. It's not going to help the church. It's only going to harm the church. It's going to ruin your witness. It's going to ruin your opportunity to share. It's ruining your life. And to what degree? I don't know, but I do know those engaged in sexual sin right now. I mean, I've heard stories of uh, of people coming to church and then just right after church heading off to some drunken party. And I'm like, where's that coming from? 
I hear, oh, I love you, Lord, getting ready to go get drunk, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my whatever on and, and maybe hook up with somebody and, and like, really, where does that come from biblically? What, what, like, quote me a verse. It's like, hey, man, I'm open if you want to show me in the scriptures where that's from the Lord, but you're convinced it's okay. You, you hear teachings from the pulpit. You might even turn on Christian radio. You, you might listen. You might even identify a believer that's failed in that area, so you kind of use them as the excuse. Well, they can fail. I can fail. And, and what you don't understand is that as believers might have failed in that area and repented, one of the things you really don't hear of is the ongoing consequences of such a sin. Now, those that are involved in ministry or maybe you have somebody close to you that has been through it and you've walked alongside of them, you know there's some great consequences when it comes to sexual sin. And he says, don't deceive yourself. Check your hearts. Unrighteousness will not be in heaven. So that's a given. We know that from Revelation and many other descriptions. Unrighteousness will not be in the presence of God. So he tells the church in Corinth, and I think to us too, why do you think living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin, enjoying it, embracing it, excusing it, making excuses for it, even encouraging it in others, is making you fit. How do you think all that lifestyle is making you fit for the kingdom of God? How is it preparing you for being in the very presence of God? And of course, we know it's not. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, listen, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, but outside, apart from God, he says, are dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. So there's a lot of sins mentioned, but verse 11 is so key. It says, such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. So even you, some of you have a, have a background of being saved from crazy stuff. And you can say such were some of you. It's not an ongoing thing today. You've forsaken it. You've left it behind. It's not a lifestyle anymore. You can look back and go, that's my past. That's the old man. That's the old woman. Such were some of you. Now, verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now put yourself, if you can, if we have the opportunity to understand what it was like to sit or to stand in the church in Corinth hearing these words. It's coming at a church filled with people that were saturated in sexual immorality in their culture. Keep in mind that the Greek mindset that prevailed in Corinth saw sex like any other bodily appetite, like any other thing, like eating or breathing or drinking. And because of that, they put no morality on sexual acts. There was no morality. It was just like anything else. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And thus, sexual sin was widespread and accepted, popular. No morality meant that lust was even encouraged and celebrated. Remember, in Corinth, there was that temple 
We looked at in earlier studies that temple of Aphrodite where a thousand priestesses or prostitutes would come down and descend into the city so that men would come and worship with them in sexual sin. It was just a common thing. The believers in Corinth grew up around this, were taught it, were most likely the day before they were saved engaged in this behavior. Just moments before they were saved, this was just their life. And so Paul says, hey, all things are lawful for me which many believers then and believers now love to stop there. All things are lawful for me, Ed. But Paul says, no, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You know, our world's not much different than Corinth. You realize that, right? It's unfortunate. I was going to print out a couple articles today. I mean, there was one article that I read that with the recent Olympics, they increased their condom order to over 100,000 for the little Olympic village there because sexual sin is celebrated there. It's just sort of a free-for-all party when they're not competing. And then I read with the World Cup coming, they had four and a half million and more on the way condoms that they're sending over there, just preparing everybody for the type of environment that's going to be there. And then there was an article today, I forgot the country, but they are putting a condom machine, one of those vending machines, in a primary school among children. And of course, in our own cultures, the the kind of curriculums that the homosexual activist community are trying to put into our kindergarten, our first grade classes, trying to allow these types of sexual sins, I mean, other types, that's our culture. That's why the message of the gospel is not very popular. It's why it becomes very offensive when there's a standard laid down, not the law of the land, but the standard of God. The difficulty of just allowing the law of the land to be your standard, as you have seen and grown up in our culture, the law of the land changes, and it becomes more lax and much easier to engage in what was once called sexual sin or sin in general, and now because it's been popular, popularly accepted, now, of course, you know, just kind of let it go. The only tether in our society seems to be the legal system, but those begin to change depending on who is brought into office. And so verse 12, Paul just wants us to know in context of this area of sexual sin that not everything's going to be helpful. And I know this section of scripture is often used as great tips and insights on how to make decisions in the gray areas. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to draw out from you in verse 12, the context is not living in the gray areas. The context is how a church responds to the temptations of sexual sin. That's where verse 12 comes into play. It's the context of how do I deal with the overwhelming culture and society where Paul says the body is not for sexual immorality. And Paul is actually correcting two popular excuses that believers were using to justify this sinful behavior. Remember, sexual sin had already entered into the church, and the leadership of the church in Corinth, the the people in the church in Corinth began to celebrate it. There was an incestuous relationship happening, and the church seemed to be prideful about it. They, They seemed to be prideful about their tolerance. Does that sound familiar today? Tolerance seems to be a a word that's thrown around of really just being used to exercise this approval of sin. And the church in Corinth was being very excited. Look how tolerant we are. Look what we allow. And the the leadership of the church, it, it took some faithful, brave women to write to Paul and say, 
our church is messed up. We need your help. We, we want you to come in and help us. We, we need somebody from the outside to come in and say, hey, this is the way it is. And that's where this letter's coming from. And he's correcting these two excuses. The first excuse was the church people, and, and this is very, very common. Uh, you, you'll find it maybe in your own life or you have a friend that's just kind of living in sin and they don't really care. They, they'll, they'll come back and say, hey, brother, why are you judging me? All things are lawful for me. And that was number one of what he was trying to correct. All things are lawful for me. That was the most popular. You, you hear it today. And of course, whenever you're talking to somebody about difficulties in their life or sinful behaviors, you want to do it in love and grace and mercy. But even the nicest delivery will draw out from someone. Why are you judging me? Doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest ye be judged? And, and it's always a partial quotations of things. Jesus said not to judge hypocritically. Not that we would never make a judgment in life. We make thousands of judgments every day. I'm glad you make judgments every day because when you see the red light and you judge that it's red, you stop, right? Thank you. You know, you get into an accident and you just, what are you judging me for, brother? You know, I just, whatever light I want, color I want the light to be. And, you know, no officer is going to go, oh, thanks. Uh, you're right. I don't know why I was judging you. Keep going. Get into another wreck. And so in life, we make so many judgments every day. Spiritually, we have to make a judgment. Is this decision going to make me stronger in the things of the Lord? Or is it going to pull me away from the things of the Lord? We make judgments all day. What Jesus said to be careful is, is don't be a hypocrite. Don't, don't sit on your high horse. Make sure that that speck in your eye is dealt with, that log in your eye is dealt with before you start to deal with any specks. I mean, there's a relational issue where you're abiding and I'm abiding in the Lord and we're making sure that our judgment is spiritual for the purpose of helping someone, not hurting them. And that was the excuse. I can do anything I want. That's a misapplication of the grace of God. Because as you're in tune with the Lord, you really can do whatever you want, but what you want to do will be what the Lord wants. Not selfishly, but it's applied selfishly. Parts, Paul starts with their excuses and balances it. Not everything is helpful, Christian, especially sexual sin. It's harmful. I don't need to bring to you tonight a list of the thousands upon thousands. We don't hear it in the news, but they find thousands of new sexually transmitted diseases every year. I don't need to tell you of the damage that it brings or the psychological damage that sexual sin brings or the harm that it brings. I mean, on and on. It, I could easily list it in a report, but not everything's going to be helpful. Not everything is going to be building you up in the things of the Lord. He says, I will not be brought under the power of any. The second one the second excuse that he is addressing is in verse 13, where he says, foods for the stomach and stomach for foods. And that was a common phrase. It was a popular Greek proverb, this phrase. Foods for the stomach, stomach for the foods. It was used to justify their overeating and indulgence and their gluttony. So if you were to come and say, hey, you know, that's a, you're, you're harming your body by eating too much, they would just throw out the, oh, foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods. That's how God created all the gods, created it. But Paul says, no, no, no. That phrase is not wise with the area of food, and also now he's applying it to the, not only the physical appetite, but the sexual appetite. 
they were saying, hey, that's why we were born. We were born to eat, we were born to drink, we were born to have unbridled sexual relations. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace and part of his message, Glorify God in Your Body and Spirit. It can be heard again online at calvaryco.church or listen through our app. That can be found by searching for Calvary Church Aurora. Pastor Ed, I'm sure you've heard this said more times than you can count. As people attempt to justify sexual sin or even abortion, it's my body and I can do what I want with it. But this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 really says something entirely different to us, doesn't it? It does, Larry. The Bible is so countercultural. The problem is, is that we live in this culture, we breathe in this culture, so many of us were educated in this culture, so whether we realize it or not, we are being conformed by this culture. And the way of the world, and this is a big hot topic even now, as as the leadership in our in many countries or you know in specifically in many states within the United States are legalizing abortion even to the point of a baby born giving the right of the mother to decide if it lives or not it's living breathing alive it's living breathing alive at conception what is happening in our country the bible well, the Bible describes that we live in a time just like the book of Judges where everyone's doing what is right in its own eyes. Everybody seems to be living in chaos. You know, they have this mindset of as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Well, abortion hurts and murders a baby in the womb. And the Bible is very clear. It speaks not only of the value of life that Jesus Christ places upon it, but on life itself, that we are to choose life at every stage. And our bodies do not belong to us. They belong to the Lord. You know, in the sense of women's right, it's a woman's body. It's a man's body. They can choose to do. And, it, and, it, and I do agree that we are free to make our choices. But when our choices produce another human being, there is no more choice. We are to value life. We're to value life in the womb. We're to value life of senior citizens and denounce euthanasia. We're to value life of men and women, boys and girls that are in a coma, that are alive but unable to communicate. We are to value life of men and women and boys and girls with disabilities, perhaps even the loss of limbs or the loss of various body parts where somehow they're now looked down upon. Listen, God loves people. And, and you know, the Bible says that man judges outwardly, but God sees the heart and it's true. But let us see with God's eyes. And remember, the Bible is going to confront us in the beliefs that we have that we've picked up in this world. And as believers, it's so important that we yield to what God says in his word. I know it's a difficult thing to hear. I understand that. The Bible is sometimes hard for me as it confronts me with the sinful thoughts in my own life. But I'm grateful that God will plead with me. He will convict me and he will lead me in the truth. And my response is to submit to him so that my life aligns with him and I can be more usable in his life, not less. And I pray the same for you. Thank you, Pastor Ed. 
And friend, maybe a question comes to your mind springing from the study in 1 Corinthians. If you'd like to shoot us an email, we'd love to hear from you at info at calvaryaurora.org. Here in the month of May, we picked out an excellent book written by Ray Bentley called The Holy Land Key, Unlocking End Times Prophecy Through the Lives of God's People in Israel. It's one thing to read prophecy and quite another to step into its fulfillment. It can be easy to miss the significant signs contained in the stories of biblical characters in God's creation and in the lives and actions of today's Israelis and Palestinians. That's where Ray Bentley steps in to help in the Holy Land Key. And we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of 1 Corinthians. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.